Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Zootopia. Zootopia, a gleaming city where animals of all breeds, predator and prey alike, live together in peace and harmony. Hi, I'm Judy, your new neighbor. Yeah, well, we're loud. Don't expect us to apologize for it. ZPD's first rabbit officer, Judy Hopps. You ready to make the world a better place? Bad news in this city gripped by fear. What can you tell us about the animals that went savage? Are we safe? This is priority one. Hops. Parking duty. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, I'm not just some token bunny. You strike out, you resign. Deal. Here to ask you some questions about a case. Then they should have gotten a real cop to solve it. You are under arrest. For what? Hurting your free wings? You are a key witness. No, he is. Hey! I need you to run a plate. All right, I know a guy. You need something done, he's on it. They're all slots? We are in a really big hurry. I am on it? Break. Life's a little bit messy. We all make mistakes. No matter what type of animal you are, change starts with you. We gotta go. Whose car is it? The most feared crime boss, Mr. Big. This is an in-depth discussion about Disney's 55th animated classic. We just couldn't wait until we reached this one with Dan. It feels too important, possibly more so even, than Frozen. Debatable. However, we will be coming back to it, Zootopia that is, later with Dan, so we can add an epilogue to this episode then in retrospect of watching the making of materials off the Blu-ray. With us, from A Year of Steam, Lauren Grieve, fresh off the Robin Hood podcast in which we also talked extensively about the furry community. Hello, Lauren. Hello there. Hello. For the first time on this show, Lauren's fellow furry Matt Wardle of the New Century or of the New Century audio drama where he played in Tiger's Eye a tiger named Gar and three panthers named Mar Garak and Shala. You may also have heard him as Johann Krieger, Dr. Julius Kaufman, and Joseph Tremaine. Matt Wardle, hello. Hello. And also, for the first time on this show, also from New Century, where, like Matt, she played at least two anthropomorphic great cats, Yao the Tiger, Glam the Panther, and Beatrix Annabelle Queensbury the Lioness, it's Annie Oakley herself, Miss Loretta Saylor. Hello. You also do a mean Pinkie Pie voice, too, right? <laughs> And then I was like, oatmeal, are you crazy? <laughs> so let's that go. was really good. Thank you. <laughs> so let's go through this film moment by moment and handle the characters as they appear. Because this one kind of came out of nowhere for us. Up until just a few weeks ago, we were wondering with Lauren uh, how predators and prey could live together in harmony and whether this would feel naive being presented to us as a modern audience or whether this would have much more going on beneath the surface. Fortunately, spoiler warning, like most utopias, 
it does. If you haven't seen this film yet, Zootopia in the USA, Zootropolis in the UK, we really recommend you go see it. It's got so many like wonderful little bits that you will be delighted to find out first for yourself. It really, as with most of our shows, it's best to see the film first. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Agreed, everyone? Or does anyone hate this film? <laughs> no. This I was inc- I was looking forward to this film more than possibly any other film coming out this year. And mm-hmm. that is a heady statement thinking about what films have already come out and okay. what films will be coming out in the next couple of months. Indeed. Okay, so that's that's pretty much a ringing endorsement from all of us. Go see it. If you've already seen it, <laughs> welcome back. Let's take a journey back into animal kind history for this. Now again, to mention Tiger's Eye, I went in thinking, right, imagine if Zootopia is Rama a couple of hundred years from now. Hmm. And it really held up. Because that play at the very beginning where, um, you know, it starts in exactly the same way as Tiger's Eye, a predator stalking prey in the jungle. And uh, it's, a, it's a great cat. And that felt like, you know, the, 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 the dark prehistory of Rama. And then moving it forwards, that Tiger's Eye would be the... the integer the joining point uh the medium uh between there and modern civilized all of the animals but you'd have to imagine also that the tiger started listening to all the quaggas and all the antelope that they were eating (laughs) and went oh they can talk too okay that's fine because i mean like the approach i made was um that there would only ever be one dominant species on the planet so rather than apes it was great cats but in zootopia all the animals evolved at the same time and became hyper-intelligent. The one thing that I think a lot of people uh, you know, just really, really surface, it, it was only the mammals that um, that evolved with, within this world. So if you notice, there's no birds. No, no insects. Uh, yeah. No insects, no uh, reptiles, nothing like that. Well, so do we see any of those other animals as non-evolved versions? Because we definitely see insects quite a bit that are just like insects, just insects um i can't unless they're remember. like in a bug's life and they're just they're, they're carrying on with their bug's life things <laughs> or a just movie. couldn't see it <laughs> um <laughs> I, I feel like there were in, in the uh that early tracking shot when she's going in on the train i swear there's some just birds flying through the canopy but like again you don't see any as actual yeah. like evolved like uplifted uh, creatures and I can't think of any reptiles. Mm. Uh, I'm pretty sure the insects aren't because somebody answered uh, a question about what do the predators actually eat um, by saying that they have something going with some sort of insect protein. Oh, which hmm. makes sense. They they probably put it in the donuts and the uh, <laughs> and the the cereal that we see the meat and they only um, eat junk food. It's disgusting. It, well, <laughs> so they're not so unlike us. Um, I think I read fish too. Yeah, there, yeah there, there make... was like Fish Town, wasn't there in uh, in uh, um, uh, or, or Fishville in in uh, Tundra Town? <laughs> Bless you. In Tundra Town, there was like a shop which sold fish to the polar bears. Yeah. Well, question though, like, wouldn't would would like undersea mammals also be evolved too? Like, like dolphins. Yeah, whales. dolphins, what whales, about crabs. <laughs> <laughs> like, like crab people. 
And that would be interesting because we only see uh, a handful of the districts of Zootopia. Yeah. So there could be like an underwater one as well. Because mm-hmm. in the very beginning, they say that there's, I think, 12 districts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we only see uh, Savannah Central, Sahara, uh, Tundra Town, uh, Downtown. Uh, yeah, Little Rodentia. <laughs> um, it, I think there's like seven that we see. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple more that you can see on Chief Bogo's map. So there's like the marshlands. Uh, maybe that's where some of the – maybe if there are any birds, maybe they hang out there. Uh, I'm really kind of amazed considering the pro- the proliferation of dogs, cats, and mice uh, in Disney from, say, the 60s onwards all the way up to around about the little moment. It was dogs, cats, mice, dogs, cats, mice, dogs, cats, mice. Um, th- they really kind of ease back on dogs, cats, and mice in this. Yeah. There are no domestic dogs or cats that you would be. Uh, I was just about to say, I think that's probably the lack of humans. There, there would be no dogs. There would be yeah. no domestic cats if yeah, there'd there, be no humans. There'd be no humans to domesticate the dogs, and there'd be no reason for the cats to domesticate themselves for the humans. We're lucky, by the way, that the uh, this is not a Pixar film, because those Pixar conspiracy theorists who believe it's all one world of a time <laughs> would tie themselves in knots trying to work out when and where and how. <laughs> you, you know, I think actually in some of the language that they talk about indicates that it's only mammals because yeah. they, mm. they say that it's a missing mammals case instead of a missing animals case. Sure, sure. Yeah. And mm. um, a couple of other uh, – the isn't the DMV the Department of Mammal Vehicles? Oh, hang on. Why is it called yeah. Zootopia? The concept of a zoo wouldn't even exist without humans to keep them in. Oh, but the, the, oh. But the reason it's zoo comes from – other words that just like mean zoology. Like, yeah, yeah. zoological yeah. is, is to do with animals. Oh. But yeah, I suppose they wouldn't refer to themselves as animals any more than we do. Yeah. But they always keep saying a missing mammals case, uh, the the missing mammals, the Department of Mammal Vehicles. Like it, it's they they use the word mammals where we would use person or human or yeah. things yeah. like that. So it makes me think that they, that that's the only species, the only type or class class yeah that elevated. There is a lot of it, class in this, definitely. Well, <laughs> well, it could also be too. Like Zootopia is just one city in this, you know, world. Mm. So I mean, it could also be like in the Marsh District is where you'd probably see more of the, uh, more of the larger reptiles, the the alligators, the crocodiles, all that. For some reason or another, I imagine them with a more Creole Louisiana accent. But that's because <laughs> I saw dogs go to heaven. Um, <laughs> It, it could just be that they just it, it wasn't like a purposeful thing. Nobody just thought to put any alligators or crocodiles or you know lizards in there. Um, well, it could also be deliberate because if this is a mammal centric continent or whatever, maybe there could be like a future movie of making contact with like the reptiles that have uplifted or something like that. I mean, who knows? Really, all that this conversation indicates is how much we all wish we could see more of this world, yeah, and understand more That's of it. True. Because of how like rich and dense uh, they made the whole world feel as you're going through it, there's there's a, so much detail in this movie. Oddly enough, I, if you think about it, there are no primates in the movie. Nope, no apes. Oh, <laughs> someone just dropped the mic. Uh, I think I just blew somebody's <laughs> mind here. <laughs> Do you know that wasn't me. That never occurred to me, but you're right. Yeah. So basically, for, for they've created a universe in which for all of these mammals to evolve, the apes had to basically get out of the way. Yeah. And is that... Kind I mean, of like that tigers are. 
<laughs> and that doesn't seem wholly unbelievable to me looking around at the, you know, our world. <laughs> what was the primate's single greatest advantage then that enabled it to to opposable thumb. get the leg up? Yeah. The opposable thumb. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, so anthropologists debate a little bit on whether it was specifically the opposable thumb because there are other species that have opposable thumbs like raccoons. Um, and I think otters? Maybe. Are you saying there's a planet where these things called raccoons? I the just knew something was coming there. You mean to tell me? That- <laughs> You're out of your goddamn mind. <laughs> we we shared the meat of his kind. It was very good. <laughs> rodent. Uh, is there much of a an ape movement in the furry community? By the way, like do, do people dress in um, gorilla and uh, orangutan uh, outfits? Um, very no? very sparse. Yeah, it's, uh, monkeys are incredibly rare. What? Every once in a while, you'll see one or two, but they are incredibly rare. And I don't think I've ever seen a suit. Yeah. Never. Well, I've one never thing I was like, we were Sharon and I were talking after while I was going through the uh, Robin Hood uh, show for the edit, and I said, like, beyond foxes, cats, what was it? Foxes, cats, wolves. What are the other ones? Like the main ones. Oh, geez, this unicorns, horses, ponies. Uh, but okay, I've never seen a hippo, and I thought, it, is there going to be a, like hippo furries? And then hippos turned up in Zootopia. And I was like, good, this might inspire some hippo furries. Well, hippos are actually assholes. <laughs> you, well, no, you get in the water with one, it will try to drown you. It will yeah. try to eat you. They are incredibly um, dangerous. Uh, if, sorry, one of the animals that uh, that was uh, that Seth, one of the evil gods of Egypt, one of his animals was actually the hippo. They were considered more deadly than crocodiles. Uh, well, and by body count, they are more deadly than crocodiles. I think they're more deadly than crocodile, sharks, and wolves combined or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> In Africa, um, isn't it the buffalo? So that would be Bogo. Bogo, yeah. yeah. But we, uh, so I actually have seen, I think I've seen one or two hippo characters or art of them yes. done. And I do know someone who has um, an elephant fursuit. Although I think technically it's a mammoth, but yeah. it's kind of close enough. Yes. I, I don't know who it is, but I know what you're talking I think it's, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, truffle, but the yeah. Louvre suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just look at the well, African I, buffalo now. Yeah, that is exactly uh, Idris Elba's character. Yep. These. Uh, why are they so dangerous? The buffalo? Yeah. Is it just because they they are aggressive and charge you? And well, I think it's more the stampede. Because uh, yeah. if you got a whole bunch of them running through an area, there's not much that's going to stop them, especially in Africa, where there's not like buildings that they can't run through in most areas. Right. Yeah. Oh my God! What are they called? It's it was uh, the same same animal that the police chief is actually. It's so like the. Buff- the Buffalo. It's a wa- yeah, yeah it's no, it's like it's a type of water buffalo that lives in Africa, and they're actually vindictive. Yeah, that's what. Oh. I, yeah. Like, but no, they'll they'll uh, um um there was one of them where it was a uh, a, a wild cat or something was going up against the herd, and it had already eaten like one of the the young ones or whatever, one of the sicklier ones earlier in that like same day or whatever. So the herd surrounds it and just slowly kind of uh, corner it into their watering hole until it drowns. Jeez. And then they go after its whole family. 
they don't stop until well, it's salted the earth. The rest of the family is there. That's what they do. It's like they'll they'll go after them. Mm. No, I mean just... they went after the family of the wildcat. They 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 killed people who owed the wildcat money. <laughs> That's how vindictive water buffalo it's, can get. It's in just Africa. it's just business, you know. It's just how yeah. you got to do business sometimes. They they need to show the will that the other animal doesn't have. <laughs> okay. So, so now that I've chilled well, everyone to the bone, yeah, <laughs> with the tales of Kaiser Soze buffaloes. <laughs> I was I was going to say though. Uh, so we're talking about like Africa and stuff. Did you? I don't know if any of you guys looked into this uh, interview, but they talked about how their idea for Zootopia actually came from like a scouting trip to Africa, like a research trip to it, where they were watching a whole bunch of different species drink from the same watering hole without perturbing each other mm-hmm. so it's like wild cats and gazelle and just a whole bunch of animals that would normally be like predator and prey but they come to this watering hole and they all kind of you know li- like exist together they drink from this watering hole they look at each other they go their separate ways and then you know later on that day they might one might be hunting one of the other ones but like in that moment of them all just kind of existing together that was what gave them the idea for zootopia in the first place ah, an uneasy alliance for the sustenance of water okay right so the first one minute of the uh, movie is now done let's do the other <laughs> 93 of them okay um, not to to derail it too much but if i'm if i'm right the original uh, storyline. If you see a lot of the art with a lot of the uh, predators, they have shock collars on. Oh, uh, was... and it was originally that if the predators got too aggressive, the shock collars would kick in, and I, I think that might have hit too close to, you know, a lot of you know unfortunate past events in in our you know history and our civilization mm-hmm. that you know the ten percent of the population you knows the predators. And uh, I I could be wrong, but that's yeah, that's from what I was seeing and reading out there about the original, uh, you know, screenwriting of it. Mm. So I was actually going to uh, ask Alex if you were going to bring this up because I wanted to. I, I definitely think we should mention the original screenplay, as Matt. Go for it. it. No, go for it. So, um, like you were saying, though, Matt. Uh, originally, so originally the main character was Nick, not Judy. Mm-hmm. And it was in a, a world where all the predators, like you were saying, have to wear these shock collars all the time in case their, uh, how do they put it, their savage ways come out. But that just me that just expresses any time they get excited or angry about something. So it, it becomes a very dystopian, uh, or dysutopian, if you will. And um, they eventually scrap that because. Uh, first off, it wasn't working with Nick as the main character, but also it created a world that they just didn't want to work in, that they didn't want to live in, and they just couldn't make a world that was that dark, that depressing. Because, mm. uh, yeah, originally it was going to be Nick was framed for a crime that he didn't commit, and uh, Judy was actually assigned to his case as this tough-as-nails uh, cop to bring him in. Which and then a yeah, as a bunny. Nice. And then to and then bring them in to uh, right the wrong. Like, they they kind of uncover the greater uh, like conspiracy. They right the wrongs. They remove all of the shot callers. And there's actually animation footage that they did of uh, Nick getting the shot caller removed and just his just the happiness of having that removed, like rubbing his neck with just this look on his face. So they oh, actually, I have seen that. 
they got far enough. They were, I think they were like, uh, it was 17 months before completion, which I think was 12 months into the project when they changed from this storyline. So they they actually started animating some of the scenes involving the shot callers in the original script. Uh, and they totally changed it around like just under halfway through the production time to for a totally different main character uh, with they, they reworked pretty much all of the characters and they changed the story pretty much entirely. And I, I think the movie's much better for it. Uh, but it's just it's kind of crazy to think how dark it could have been. That does blow my mind a little bit. But then again, if you look at I, I, I want to watch it now and like see what kind of what scenes they would have recycled from that. I also think on a on a side note that because of like how massive this world is, um, that Disney could definitely use it to make an excellent MMO game if they get if they get enough um, if they get the right game company on it. All right, everybody, sit. I've got three items on the docket. First, we need to acknowledge the elephant in the room, Francine. Happy birthday. Number two. There are some new recruits with us I should introduce, but I'm not going to because I don't care. Finally, we have 14 missing mammal cases. All predators, from a giant polar bear to a teensy little otter. And City Hall is right up my tail to find them. This is priority number one. There's not a whole lot of information. The art book still has a lot of the storyboards that involve the uh, shock callers. A lot of the early storyboards that you can still find on the internet and definitely in that art book have all manner of uh, predator wearing the shock collars just in the scenes that otherwise look like they would just come straight out of the uh, like the, the footage from the film itself. So they just lifted the collars off them, got rid of that subplot, and, uh, and and carried on. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But it's interesting because that those collars were supposed or originally going to be like the main plot. Like it wasn't yeah. even just like a subtle side thing. Mm. Uh, it's just that they had written themselves into such a dark hole. Yeah, that they. And they thought it was also too heavy handed for the like the allegory kind of thing. And they um, I read another interview where they talked about that they uh, they didn't want to make a message movie where at the end it's just kind of like bludgeoning you in the face with what the moral is. They just wanted to create kind of a representation of some aspect where there's definitely allegorical elements, but it's, but they didn't want to make like a message movie, if that makes any sense. Mm. Mm. That's almost exactly what I've got as one of my points that a lot of the Mm. allegory is kind of piecemeal. It's not a a solid coherent um, one for one, like something like animal farm. Although this original story that you're talking about has got a lot of very Orwellian elements to it. Oh, quite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, no, you can I like understand this. why Disney animators probably wouldn't want to hang around in that world too much. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is there such a word as Huxleyan? Because it also sounds a little bit Brave New World. Sure, there certainly should be. Okay, mm, right. Indeed. So minute two of Zootopia. <laughs> 42 where, where, minutes Where in. we get introduced to Judy's wonderful acting talent with the blood, 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 blood. <laughs> yeah. Remember that for later. Um, I do, no, I kind of no. want to ask Lyra, uh, Sharon. Uh-huh. I kind of want to ask Sharon about the heroine's journey for this, but we haven't yet put out our hero's journey one uh, that uh, Lauren, that you were uh, lucky enough to be on. But... Um, 
there's there's a difference in heroines journey. I think we're going to have to do a heroines journey episode all to ourselves as well. Just you know, as a, as a as a as a accompaniment to that I, one. I think though. I mean, all right, we're we're not going to go into great depth about the the process of the hero's journey here, or or you know how the heroines journey. Because we go into great depth on that show, and it's a cracker, folks. You will Absolutely. get that in a few weeks' time. Um, but I think it is it's pretty safe to say that um, the, the key difference between certainly the beginning of the hero's journey and the heroine's journey relates to the nature of the call to adventure. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe it may have been in the hero's journey podcast. It may have been in something else because we've done quite a few lately and I get a little bit confused. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did talk briefly about um the setup for disney princesses which i would say there is an argument for judy being one mm-hmm. because um she the, the process for disney princesses seems to be they are desperate for the call they really really want to get out there and do something mm-hmm. but they are constantly being held back and um, and that's what you've got in Judy's setup. She doesn't have to have somebody come and tell her it is time for you to go off on an adventure. She has been champing at the bit since she was tiny. Um, and but she's got she this still constant, is tiny. I know she's still <laughs> tiny, but you know what I mean. She's got this constant barrage of um, you know you're you're a bunny, stay here and farm carrots, and we're worried about you. And if you go out there, you'll get hurt, and you're too small, and you can't do this because you, you're too fluffy and cute. Mm. The, Ooh, haven't I heard wait, that before? Wait, wait, you can't call rabbits cute. I mean, bunnies yeah, call each yeah. other cute. But... Yeah, we call each other cute. Was, you know, but you sorry, I, 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 I inverted commas. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a great moment. That is our word. It, you cannot use our word. You can't have that word. There was there wasn't a um uh that usually oh, okay as you said Sharon there were several things that weren't exactly one to one but there did feel a lot of the time like the fact that she was the first ever bunny uh, and the fact that everyone had the, as a, as a cop and everyone had their own preconceptions about that it felt like a lot of the time bunny equates to female. Yes. And that's that's not like an incredibly insightful. That's just like that's the surface level. That's what it felt like. And I think a lot of people were sort of getting that. Um And I think I think the the very specific nature of how she came to um to her level of determination about going off and doing the things that she wanted to do. Mm. Um the the specific setup that she got in a in an argument where she was looking for justice as young children often do mm. and she got pushed down by a bigger boy specifically um which is a fairly common occurrence for girls who are you know what is often termed mouthy and bossy and what I like to call displaying early leadership skills. Um, Thank you. But they they get stamped on a lot, and it's it's this is a common story. When I you know when I talk to my friends, when I read a lot of books about um, you know from from women who have tackled an awful lot of psychological issues in their life, this is what happens. When they were young, they were adventurous, they were curious, they wanted to get out there and do stuff. They were active, and at some point, usually around about the eight or nine age, they realised that actually the world was designed to keep them in place. Uh, Loretta, make notes. For Viola. That's all I'll say. <laughs> oh, I'm way ahead of you. <laughs> but I think it's also kind of important to note that Judy just she has no doubt in her own capabilities. She's like the most tenacious character I've ever seen mm. in a Disney film or many other films. Cause it's not even until like a third of the way into the film 
after she already went through the montage, like the training montage, after she already graduated, after she even started, that she started to like even remotely doubt her place. And it wasn't so much her ability to do something about it, but just like the overwhelming odds against her. But she never stopped trying. She's just incredibly tenacious. I think that as well comes back to the the specific incident with Gideon um, when she's I think does she say she was nine when that happened? Uh, yeah, I think eight or nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the the fact that she got knocked down, but in that moment she found a way to beat him anyway. Yeah. Well, that that age is kind of a pivot age for for you know if basically I think in another world if she'd got knocked down and hadn't been able to sneak the tickets out of his pocket and therefore that had been a defeat for her, her life would have gone very differently. See, I don't know because immediately before that, when she's talking to her parents while they're trying to talk her out of going for the police academy, they're just, they're like, do you want to, did we ever, or did you ever wonder how we got to be so happy? And she's just like, nope. And just, just (laughs) not even interested in what other people have to say, because everybody's trying to tell her, like, well, you can't be a police officer. Why don't you be a carrot farmer? And she's like, nope, I'm going to make the world a better place. Like, I'm going to do this. I definitely think that the encounter with Gideon uh, cemented some of her preconceived notions about foxes, certainly. And uh, and then that moment when she stands up and she's like, well, he did get one thing right. I don't quit easily or something like that. I don't know when to quit. I don't know when to quit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but that's that's what I mean. That that moment it also cemented her views on herself that she can win in those situations if she just keeps trying. I think I think if she, if that had been a defeat moment for her, she would have just kept trying. Um, because if you remember later in the film, I mean, can I skip ahead or should I wait? Skip ahead. Okay. Um, if you remember later in the film, the main reason she goes back is not because. Uh, you know, she, she can't do it. She proved that she could do it. The problem was is that she didn't like what she had done. She didn't like the fact that instead of, you know, like her being so capable, her being able to crack this case actually made things worse for other people. And that's why she left. That's why she quit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was more the if... I think if the situation had escalated and Gideon had not only attacked her but had continued to attack to attack the other ones, then you know I think I think she would have given up. But I, I think I think she would have found another way to to beat Gideon. Her main antagonist is really herself. Like she she sets a goal forward, and once she's achieved that goal, if she doesn't like the aftermath, that's that's what brings her down. It definitely striking that balance between when, you know, I, I can make this world a better place and getting beaten, you know, beaten down, you know, and that, that, you know, after the first day on the job, you know, when she microwaves that awful, awfully <laughs> sad carrot, <laughs> you know, and just going, wow, so, you know, the rest of the world, it's not so easy to just have my ideals imparted on everything but then going above and beyond that and seeing what repercussions it has, you know, going, you know, how do, how does one strike that balance between uh, I can live with myself with who I am versus can I live with myself with what I've become, you know, and pushing beyond some of those boundaries and, and who it really, you know, interacts and affects, you know, throughout, throughout their lives. 
And her journey doesn't seem to be in any way about competence. There is never any question that she is completely capable to do the things that she does and to, to meet the challenges that she sets for herself. But I think you're right about the um, that moment where her, her parents say to her, don't you ever wor- wonder how we got to be so happy? Nope. She, <laughs> she does, to, to a certain degree, lack empathy for the people around her. And I think that's what, makes her able to say the things that she does when she gets up on the podium because she doesn't think far enough outside of herself to click what those words, what impact those words will have on other people who aren't prey, you know, who aren't her and who aren't in her situation. I, I think, I think also that's more like that. She, she hadn't quite, she still hadn't quite outgrown that small town naivete. Mm. Um, my my stepfather's a cop, and he would he 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 tells us about you know like sometimes there were these there would be these guys who like you know they're fresh on the force they're gung ho they're capable, but sometimes they they fail just because you know they're coming from you know the the country where things are the way they are and you don't really have to think outside of that bubble because everybody knows each other you already know how everybody thinks and what everybody's mind and business is and. You know, here in this this bigger city, this bigger area, she there aren't a, you know there are, there are more predators than she's used to, so the effects you know wouldn't be like they they would be um, much bigger than than they would be back home. It's it's I think it's it's more it's I mean it is it is slightly a lack of empathy, but I think it's more a small town mentality too. Mm. Yeah. Because but, you know, if she says something bad about predators. The only people she's really hurting is like is Gideon, and she thinks you know Gideon's a dickhead until you know she she moves back and see how he's changed. Um, oh, actually, someone did ask us to talk about Gideon, so that seems like the uh, the ideal time if you want to <laughs> talk about the the impact of seeing Gideon's development after clearly after many many years of being apart. He did remind me, especially given that obviously being a fox, he has ginger fur of um, Scott Fargus. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and with with the little Grover Dill weasel yeah. leaning around his legs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> yeah, that ferret. I wonder what happened to that ferret. He's probably in prison. Yeah. Ferrets deserve to be in prison. Multimillionaire philanthropist. No, probably prison. I hate you. <laughs> Children. For the record, uh, Matt there quite likes ferrets a lot. You know, you know this. Well, going going back to to Gideon, um, yeah, obviously he, he he's very remorseful when when he when uh, Judy comes back to uh, to the town, um, and 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 to me, it, there's so much more of a, a a dynamic to explore with people who were bullies back in the day and how that affects obviously some people, you know, in, in their lives, you know, going forward, you know, um, I, 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 there's so much to explore there, but obviously, you know, Gideon being who he is in the movie, that's not the time nor place, but, uh, it fascinated me. I, uh, I like the idea of, um, of, of never completely writing off somebody and, uh, and, there are themes in the book of uh, you know 
somebody who has gone down a, a, a let's face it a dark path doesn't necessarily have to consider that that is their pathway forever and it really uh i think the biggest theme in the whole movie is just prejudice and not like how normal people usually use that word i mean literally pre-justice pre-decided notions about somebody because of something in their past writing people off writing people off yeah but it's but it's it kind of goes like what we were just talking about how judy um like her best enemy is herself and and all of that kind of stuff but it's just everything in this movie goes back to some kind of prejudice that was held based upon the species of the character in question Mm. so gideon was it was uh, started out, and never and Judy and others thought that he was this you know sly, mischievous, cruel fox uh, because foxes have a bad rap, and um, he fed into that much like Nick does later on. But he subverts that so thoroughly by deciding he's going to make pies, apparently pretty good pies, and uh, it just that happens again and again and again and again sometimes even in really subtle ways in in the movie i mean like a really subtle way that i recognized this morning when i was watching it was uh when they go to the the naturalist colony and there's the is it, was he a yak the one that they yes. at the front he was a yak. His name's yes. yaks yeah oh there you go so when yaks takes them out to talk to the yoga instructor who's an elephant he's talking about how she remembers everything she'll be able to help i wish i could remember things as well as the elephant does and she doesn't remember Two weeks ago, she doesn't remember ever seeing Mr. Otterton there, even though he had been going there for six years. And the yak ended up remembering everything and saying, oh, don't you remember he was wearing this? He got into this card. This was the license plate. Oh, I wish I could remember things as good as you. And that's just going into the uh, prejudice, but in a different direction. That's like a positive prejudice of saying she is an elephant. Therefore, she remembers everything. So let's go talk to her. Uh, and it, again, there's like many subtle places. Uh, if I could relate another one, Chief Bogo is this uh, like water buffalo. He's this, you know, big, gruff, stubborn, just beast of a man. Like he doesn't take crap from anybody. And he's very uh, bullheaded, if you will. And yet he loves Gazelle, who is <laughs> a pop singer. Uh, I mean, she's Shakira in real life, but. Uh, you know, like when uh, Clawhauser walks in and there's that one moment of, is that Gazelle? You have the app too? And they just bond for a brief moment with that. And, and Bogo's like embarrassed because of the persona that he was trying to relate is, is to fit his species where secretly he actually likes these other things. So I, I know I went on many tangents that were winding, but that's... <laughs> But I think Gideon's a good representation of that, that they hit harder than other aspects, that a lot of it comes to the the, the prejudged mm-hmm. uh, opinions that people have that are then subverted in some way, in this way, in this case, a very big way. Mm. Um, well, I think it's it ties in with um, a saying about child development, which is that if you have high expectations of a child, they'll meet them. If you have low expectations, yeah. they'll meet them even better. Yeah. And then uh, to connect this to like the larger allegory, uh, we see a lot of this in real life, that people will act a certain way, dress a certain way, treat others a certain way, think a certain way because they identify themselves as a part of some group. So in this case, it's just, you're identifying yourself with a species, uh, much like 
you know, we do in the furry community, but all this, you'll see this everywhere. You associate yourself with accountants, with a gang, with a certain racial background and you'll do actuary an actuary. Yeah. (laughs) And you'll do and say and think and act in certain ways just because you're a part of that culture. I mean, religion, you'll see this and it all just goes into that, that prejudice. Like you, it's almost like a prejudice to yourself where, Oh, well I identify as this and this is how these kinds of people act. So I will act that way. It's just like connecting to that greater allegory. I, I can attest to that. I, when I'm with a large group of uh, women, I have a tendency to act in ways that are far more stereotypically girly than I would usually consider myself to be. <laughs> and, and, and this is the thing that uh, moving away from a lot of those, a lot of that con- concept of like, oh, I have to act this certain way is a big part of like self-actualization, mm. uh, which... Uh, we could do a whole podcast on some other day. Gotcha. But to to bring it back to the the, the relationship to the the movie, and and oh, I know please. we've we've kind of gone off on a, a bit of a wild tangent there. But the the structure of um, gatekeeping and segregation, and and how you keep your your identity safe and secure from the the other people around you that you you know you don't feel want to be in your identity. There's a there's a correlation there between the the idea that you at this event you are expected to wear black tie and basically the purpose for that is that anybody who shows up not wearing black tie isn't really supposed to be there and you know dress codes on in some uh, instances they're not widely publicized because the idea is you should just know mm-hmm. and if you're meant to be there then you should just know that that's the way that you're supposed to dress and you can actually see that even and I think this is how they kind of blur the idea that this zootopia is not quite as um, uh, as, as wonderful and as, as blended an environment as Gazelle's idealism would have it, is that you do have all of these um, sort of separate districts. And, you know, and, and some of it seems to be, obviously, for very practical reasons. You have to have little Rodensia because otherwise the Vols would all get stepped on. Um, I was actually very know, surprised you, when I saw those little mice cars driving around on regular roads. It was like, in all practicality's sake, they would be crushed by a pig, <laughs> you know, by a, a, just a cat. Koala would destroy them. (laughs) But there is that feeling that that the uh, the groupings are not as integrated as you would maybe like to think they are. I mean, I know that ostensibly it was for the purposes of a joke, but everybody at the DMV is a sloth. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you, you've got the, this this idea that um, not only is Judy the first rabbit to be um, in the, the police force, but if you look at all the other cops that are in that room with her, I mean, first they're all men, which is, is obviously part of the... No, 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 the elephant. The elephant, the elephant in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. Yeah, I did not get no, they that. Were all, okay. they, were all large, they were all large mammals. But they were all, yeah, they were all big, that, was the other thing I was going to say. But there weren't the, many females no, notable by their... Uh, and, mm. and there weren't many prey animals either. They were mostly predators. Excuse me? Down here? Hi. Oh, am goodness. They really did hire a bunny. <laughs> what? <laughs> I gotta tell you, you are even cuter than I thought you'd be. Ooh, uh, you probably didn't know, but a bunny can call another bunny cute, but when other animals do it, it's a little... <gasps> I am so sorry. Me, Benjamin Clawhauser. 
The guy everyone thinks is just a flabby donut-loving cop stereotyping you. Oh. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, you've actually you've actually um, got there's a in your neck the fault the mm-hmm, there's oh, here you went you little dickens. Oh. <laughs> I should get a roll call. So which way do I? Oh, bullpen's over there to the left. Great. Thank you. Oh, that poor little buddy's gonna get eaten alive. Clawhauser. Clawhauser. Yeah. He's a cheetah. Yes. So technically, a predator, but does he but look like against, he's a predator? Yeah, he's going against the body type there, very specifically. Yeah. Then you look at Absolutely. the chief, though. Yeah. Yeah. Buffalo, but huge. Mm. Nobody's yeah. going to mess with that. But this this was something I wanted to ask about, the, the distinction between predator and prey, because ultimately those two words relate to each other in a very specific way. And you would think that if they've evolved to the point now where they, they don't hunt each other down in the streets... And and I, I really liked, by the way, the, the initial setup for the metaphor that once upon a time we were savage, but we evolved and we got past that. Once upon a time we were savage is still a reason that some people use for why it's apparently okay for humans to be rotten to each other. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and no, <laughs> frankly, evolution has happened. You can't go back on it now. It, it's you know that's I, that argument doesn't wash with me. But the 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 point being that you if you if you're still calling these groups of people predator and prey, then that's still first off it's a very predator centric view on things because if you take the predators out of the equation, what are the other ninety percent? Because they're not prey if there's nothing around to to prey on them. Yeah. Um, so- and the other thing is that you've got hold on, Lauren. Not- <laughs> No, no, I'm, I'm sorry. You had an hour the, 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 to talk the, about the fur community. Now let's talk about the film. <laughs> hey, the, the, other, the other facet of this that I wanted to discuss was where is the line drawn? Because although, yes, you've got this idea of, um, of meat eaters and non-meat eaters, and they're, they're very easy to distinguish between, or, you know, carnivores, where do all the omnivores sit? Where do the, the, um, the creatures that would be hunted by larger animals but would hunt the smaller ones? Where do you put the animals like the rhinos, like the buffalo, which technically speaking are prey, but is anybody really going to run them down? How do those dynamics work? So I, th- I think what kind of what you were hitting is the idea that predator and prey, much like some things for humans, are themselves uh, kind of prejudiced uh, titles that people mm. can identify with more than uh, an actual like embodiment of their person. Because uh, that's one thing that's I think curious about this film is it talks a lot about prejudice and stereotyping, but there are some stereotypes and some prejudices that are are definitely like there. Like there's a part of it, like the wolves howling that they just are compelled to howl if they hear somebody howl. And it's like, well, that's a species thing. It's like a, a stereotype thing, but it's a de facto thing. It's yeah. not something that they that they like. Uh, a, it's not something they can control, even though they're fully evolved. And B, it's just something wolves do. It's not something that is derogatory because it's what wolves do. It's but just something wolves do. When she's scared. Yeah. Well, she also uh, holds her. Uh, front hand her hands her front paws in a very specific way that's uh together and up like she's about to run away anytime something startles her Mm. uh they do actually just an incredible job with uh body language and micro expressions in all the characters but especially judy uh but so there are certain things that are 
for some reason inherent to the species, but other, but, but if it's a part of your personality, it's a, it's more of a stereotype. And I think the predator prey thing is much more of the stereotype. Uh, and we definitely see a lot of the omnivores are lumped into the predator category, the fox, the badger, the otter. Otters. Um, so it's, it seems more like a, a title or like a, something that you can identify yourself with, but it doesn't actually like mean anything. It only has cultural weight now as opposed to uh, like an actual meaning is how I saw it. Mm. Okay. So can we talk about Nick? Please. Because the film sets you up with Judy having. By the way, uh, I only realized like a few days before we started uh, uh, to before we watched the film. Judy Hops. Her name is from Judy Hoffs, Officer Judy Hoffs from the original Twenty One Jump Street show. Yep. yep. That is a one percenter <laughs> really? of a joke. Aww. That is a fraction <laughs> of a one percenter of a joke. <laughs> there, there's another wow. really good name joke though that I just realized today. We're not talking about um, Duke Wesselton. Duke Weaselton even um, goes. Wesselton. Actually, he was voiced by the same yeah, Alan actor Tudyk doing That's his best connection. Steve Buscemi. Which oh yeah. my god, the fact that the fact that they they like lampshaded that I didn't catch it till I saw it earlier today. I was like, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> I thought that was just. Brilliant. Because in Frozen, doesn't he even say, no, I'm the Duke of uh, yeah. Weselton. She says Weselton, and he says, Weselton! It's like the gag. Yeah, and then in, in this one, she says, Duke Weselton, and he goes, Weselton! And it's like, yeah. it's so good. And he has Frozen 2 as one of his DVDs. Nice. <laughs> well, he even, they even had like a couple of DVDs that weren't even out yet, including that. I noticed Moana did, what was the other one? Moana, Giraffic, and Floatsin 2, which are, of course, Moana, Gigantic, and Frozen Ah, 2. Gigantic. Looking forward to that one. Nice. Which even and more Moana. amusing, the, um, when it comes to weasels in the um, Mustelid family, the noise that they make is termed as duking. Duke, D-O-O-K. Nice. It's the onomatopoeia. <laughs> okay. So, Nick, like you're, you're, you're set up at the beginning with uh, Gideon as uh, a reasonable prejudice for her to feel that foxes are untrustworthy. And she goes after him because she feels like he's going to be uh, you know, up to no good. And that's her instincts. And then when she sees that he's uh, um, trying to uh, get a, a giant popsicle for his little bat kid his little fox his little uh it's actually uh finnick the fennec fox um yep. it's a real creature <laughs> oh, yeah they've got these enormous ears and you could like if you go to the fort worth zoo you could try them on and and listen the way they, oh my god okay sorry i would, I would imagine that fennec in the uh, pokemon is based on a, a fennec fox yeah, basically, she she begins with a prejudice, then she uh, chastises herself for feeling that prejudice, and then that prejudice is confirmed, which kind of in a roundabout way then then gears up for um, uh, the 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 big changeover when she lays down this prejudice she's been sat on for a long time, and we haven't really focused on it. It's a really, I mean, we'll, we can jump to that later, but that's. It's key, by the way, that um, we start with Judy from when she's a child and then uh, we uh, move to her as an adult because that means we're with her all the way. So we accept that she has a few prejudices against the, uh, the, the, the fox. And then when we find out more about Nick, it's from her point of view 
because you know we, we could have had Nick from it as a child as well, but ultimately we need to find out more about him and overcome that mistrust. And you know, but basically every step of the way, once she's realised he's untrustworthy, he's trying to have one over on her, and that is the cause of most of the comedy. But the 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 core is ultimately that he really doesn't like the fact that other animals think of him in this one specific way. So uh, it, to a degree, he's playing up to that stereotype. I think in terms of the stereotyping, that says something very specific about the way, um, whether this is how the writers wanted the audience to look at, at stereotyping and, and prejudice and assumptions about people, or whether this is just the way I'm interpreting it, I'm not sure. But the idea that when you... When you first meet somebody, you can have all sorts of stereotypes and prejudices in your head and be saying to yourself, well, no, because I'm, you know, I'm going to be fair and not jump to those conclusions. And then you might find that, as happens with Nick, a few layers come off and then she gets to the stereotype. But then she assumes that because she's got to the stereotype, that's the bottom. The, the layers that came off at the top that doesn't necessarily mean that there are then more layers to come off the bottom, which is the film progresses, of course, you find out there are. There's a there's a reason he's behaving in that stereotypical way. There's, you know, background history behind why he and Finnick have got this um, uh, this lifestyle. There's this whole idea behind um oh my god. I don't I don't wanna like give a true one without insulting someone. Well so so the thing is though, that all of these stereotypes you're saying that there there's some kind of nugget of truth, but it might not be a modern nugget of truth. It's usually no, no. some experience yeah. that someone had or a group of people had about a group of people. They made a generalization and then it just kind of catches on almost mimetically. Yeah. And yeah. and then it it's very hard to go away. And that's a lot of what they're exploring in Zootopia because these are stereotypes and prejudices based upon the species that an animal is. That even though it may not embody what they are now on an individual basis. Hey, carrots, you're gonna wake the baby. I gotta get to work. This is important, sir. I think your $10 worth of popsicles can wait. Ha, I make 200 bucks a day, Fluff. 365 days a year since I was 12. And time is money, hop along. Please just look at the picture. You sold Mr. Otterton that popsicle, right? Do you know him? I know everybody. And I also know that somewhere there's a toy store missing and stuffed animal. So why don't you get back to your box? Fine. Then we'll have to do this the hard way. Did you just boot my stroller? Nicholas Wilde, you are under arrest. Huh, for what? Hurting your free wings? Felony tax evasion. Yeah, $200 a day, 365 days a year. Since you were 12, that's two decades of times 20, which is 1,460,000, I think. I mean, <laughs> I am just a dumb bunny, but we are good at multiplying. There was only one bum note, one bum comedy note in this that I was just sort of, oh, come on. This is for a lesser animated animal comedy. Anyone guess what it is? Uh, I was going to... I mean, to me, the, the the joke that falls flat is the three-humped camel one, but that's just because it's... I'm like, that's a little too on the nose for a kid's film. <laughs> like, that's that's a little <laughs> a little on the nose for even Disney. Like, well, I, I, I applauded uh, them for at least uh, coming up with a joke that's unusual, and uh, the fact that that was all combined with one of the obviously funniest moments in the film, because it's possibly just oh, yeah. because that it w went so quiet, you could hear everybody just laughing away at that moment. 
moment. That whole <laughs> scene was unbelievable. I wonder how how funny it's going to be in in the future. Or maybe it'll just be as excruciating as because I mean, so much of it is about Judy's reaction. Judy's come on, come on, come on. Oh, come on. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Nick just 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 tormenting her just for the yeah. fun yeah. of it. No, that was I mean, not so. Can anyone guess the the one that went sort of? <laughs> It's only one, which in a comedy is not bad. I don't know. I was laughing the whole time. Yeah. Was it a trailer it moment? It was a trailer moment. It was one of those trailer moments where they're like, See, come for I this, stay for the subtext. I didn't think that the sloth part was funny oh, at really? all, actually. Okay. <gasps> yeah. I don't, but then again, I get annoyed at stuff like that. Like I would have been Judy. I would have been like, just God, move. Do you God think damn I get annoyed it. with stuff like that? I am Judy. It's funnier to me. So the the thing about the sloth mm. scene though is it did uh, it it paid off in such a great way at the very mm. end in ways oh, that yeah. this movie just does the whole time which I hope we'll talk about in a little bit that it just sets something up and then pays it off Much later like in like a brilliant was, way actually they may have been yes. taking uh, lessons from that it's just a whole series of Chekhov's guns. Yeah. But anyway, no, this is a, go- a joke which doesn't fuzz, really though. actually pay off all that much. It is a plot point that pays off with this. Uh, but it pays off from one plot point to another plot point. We didn't actually need the gag in the first place. Okay, the 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 beginning of it is Judy saves the life of a little shrew girl. Uh, oh, Mr. Big the, yeah. oh, okay. yeah. the I, I like that I'm sure one, you did, Loretta. There, there is a film called Shark Tale, which basically blends Goodfellas and Scorsese-type gangster film stuff uh, with um, a stupid tale about fish with Will Smith. And it came out... Uh, and Jack Black. Uh, it came out around about the same time as Finding Nemo, and it was god-awful and totally forgotten. It was horrible. And it was horrible. Because Thought all that should have been made into sushi. Gangster jokes and kids stuff just don't work. They are so clearly there for the parents. It's like, look, we put in something for you guys. Um, like, the good feathers in, uh, in Animaniacs, that is a one-sketch joke. You literally don't have them coming back every week. You talking to me? You talking to me? Hey, you kids seen Taxi Driver still? No, I didn't think so. Right. <laughs> and what well, has Taxi Driver know, see, got to do with Goodfellas anyway? Apart from the fact that De Niro was... It was funnier for me because that's what my family's like. Oh. So so my cousins and I see this and we, we you know, okay. we see... If, you know, we see uh, our in the, in the possible exception of the fact that your family might actually be, be like that, if your family aren't like that, it just doesn't work in a in a kids film context, and it's the same as like when they put in in Madagascar the American Beauty reference with the stakes for like that that's just for yeah. the adults, and it's it, it's so kind of alienating to the kid audience. But so but they sort of like they threw in something for the kids as well because it's like but he's got a funny voice. <laughs> And that no child won't laugh at We actually saw Godfathers 1, 2, and 3 last week. Really not just, I, 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 like, they're 40, nearly 50 years old now. And they still don't belong in, in this kind of context. And also, the other thing is, the Godfather joke's been done. How many people have come up, stuck walnuts in their mouth and gone, you come to me on the wedding of my daughter. I'm just going to go for the line everybody Robin knows about. Yeah, I mean, just like everyone knows that line. Everyone knows that on, thing. On this, the day of my daughter's Another wedding. Thing. Or actually, Rugrats yeah. even did it. On this, the day of my daddy's it's wedding. It's been done. Same as in Robin Hood Men in Tights, there was a river dance gag. And the river dance gag was done and done and done throughout the 90s and some of the 2000s. But then they stopped because they realized that joke has been done. It's done. We've done the river dance thing. 
still carrying on with the disco. The whole like animated characters going do 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 do. They don't usually like they they make it more sort of like you know funky modern type dance music stuff, but it's still a disco gag. The trolls trailer is just a disco gag. <sighs> so anyway, there's Godfather. There's no no business in this film. Didn't need to do it in the first place. Could have in fact confounded expectations in other ways. But apart from that, it's great. Is that Mr. Big? Stop talking. Stop talking. Daddy! What did we say? No icing anyone at my wedding! I have to, baby. Daddy has to. Speaking of um, localization, it's called Zootropolis in the UK because of a licensing clash with a Danish zoo called Zootopia. Which is kind (laughs) of astonishing. It's like, I wonder how much the Danish Zootopia Zoo said to Disney. We want 15 trillion dollars. For, for, <laughs> for just calling it the same thing. And uh, the, the Zootopia is obviously a play on Utopia, which is great. Zootropolis is a play on Metropolis, which is almost better. To, to referencing Fritz Lang's Metropolis, in which the uh, inhabitants of an, the upper city uh, are standing on the heads of the workers below the city. And, uh, and there is the, the, the culture clash there. It's, it's all about how that comes to a head. It's one of the, it's the first major sci-fi in... Um, if we're not going to count stuff like the trip to the moon, it's the first full-length major <laughs> sci-fi in cinema. It's it's huge, but I kind of wish they'd just called it Zootropolis across the board, you know, like you know, and, and settled rather than it's Zootopia in America, Zootropolis over here, and uh, it's probably called something else entirely in France and blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's kind of a, I'm going to continue to call it, just call it Zootopia because. Um, I, I, I'm not much of a fan of localization. My least favorite localization ever is where they switch Jeremy Piven, who is the agent in the execrable, oh yeah, yeah, entourage in Cars. <laughs> At least that kind of makes sense. And I really like Jeremy Piven, even if he is in that god awful show. They switched him out for um, awful tone deaf racist uh, and car enthusiast Jeremy Clarkson. Jeremy in the Clarkson. UK. So we had to endure his horrible, shitty non actor voice. Oh, um, as the agent, so yeah, I got the American version of Cars because life's too short for Clarkson. Going back briefly to Nick, um, and I did mention this at the beginning, way back then, um, that there isn't a direct allegory between the the predator prey split and um, and the social issues that they they cover in the film. Because you can't, if if you look at the way it's all divided, it it doesn't match perfectly with with how social inequalities are set up. So you could argue, if you were looking at it um, as a an allegory for sexism, that, that predators are men and prey are women. But there's, it's not a fifty fifty split. There's a yeah. lot of. It's, yeah, exactly. It's it's ten percent predator and ninety percent prey. Um, there are a lot of bigger so-called prey animals um, that, that wouldn't fit in that category. But there are um, lots of ways that they, they touch on that. Obviously, the obvious one is is Judy being part of this sort of affirmative action program. What do they call it? The Mammal Inclusion Program? Mm-hmm. Um, to, to get uh, prey animals into the, um, the police force, which kind of reminded me of Private Benjamin, mm. where, um, where Goldie Horn joins the army. Mm. 
and basically then finds that she I mean it's that they play that differently and that she has to be sort of you know a cadet and dragged through the mud and she was expecting it all to be glamorous and wonderful and it's not um whereas Judy is is obviously has no illusions about what this is going to be like and is absolutely determined to to push through and do yeah. it anyway um but um but yeah the, there isn't that direct matchup between um predator and prey to to men and women um you could say that if you if you're looking at it as a, a capitalist al- allegory that the predators are kind of the aristocracy or the you know the the wealthy one percent but the fact that they are so easily displaced when the majority get sick of mm. them that's clearly not a direct allegory because otherwise we'd have got rid of them long yeah. by now yeah. and that this utopia happened, so. is a utopia um, because it doesn't have that one percent who cannot be shifted exactly the, the idea that um that the mayor has had to put this hide all these savage animals in cages because I, I don't want people to find out about it because I might lose my position. If he was representative of a, a true upper class, there would be no danger that he would lose his position. I mean, the the, um, the example that I, I said to Alex that would kind of be the parallel, if during George Bush's presidency, uh, Condoleezza Rice had decided that she didn't like um, the way he was taking advantage of her and, and using all of her good ideas. And so she would use the various examples of white men going crazy with automatic weapons and shooting large groups of people to say, hey, this white man might go crazy with an automatic weapon. Let's get rid of him. Um, that would never happen. So you, you don't have the parallel there. Um, and the, the the if you're looking at it from a racist perspective, the the species don't match up directly mm. with um, any kind of racist split. Again, you've got the the um, the fact that the predators are in such a minority. There's always um, something that that stops there being a direct comparison um, with human social issues. But I think that that's part of what makes it so applicable and specifically for children mm. because it's not that complex they're using these examples to illustrate prejudice in a more general sense Um, although obviously you can relate it back to racism you can relate it back to sexism and classism but it's because it doesn't have those specific real world analogies you can use it for whatever is appropriate for what you're trying to talk about with those children which makes perfect sense for a disney movie (laughs) Oh, can I mention a couple of uh, uh, um, prejudice uh, things that I just... Okay. Um, one of them was, uh, I think, didn't Judy say something along the lines of, oh, we are good at numbers? And uh, she was uh, referring to, yeah. Oh, she's, she specifically says, um, well, I am just a dumb bunny, but we are good at yeah. multiplying. Um, yeah, and... it's uh, sort of out of the side of her mouth, like she's referencing a racial thing. And there are a couple of races out there, I'm not going to name them, but that are specifically uh, related to being particularly good at mathematics. Uh, it's, it, is a, it is positive discrimination, but it ain't a good thing. Crikey, that didn't even click. I just thought it was a joke about the fact that... No, it's more of an American prejudice, by the way. Um, But, uh, yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean that all rabbits are this particular ethnicity that is often associated with being quite good at maths. The other one was actually not uh, one that I noticed, and I was primed and ready for it when I went in. I was thinking, right, is this going to actually be stand-up? No, it doesn't stand-up. That's good, because I'm kind of glad it doesn't. Um, Double Toasted, who are my current favourite movie reviewers, apart from possibly... yeah. No, movie Bob comes first. Um, and, oh, and we hate movies. Okay, but Double Toasted are really high up there as well. Um, uh, th- they pointed out that uh, when the sheep, when he goes, I just want to touch her hair, it's like candy floss, ha, 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 ha. 
there were black women in the audience going, yeah, yeah, behind them, because that's apparently a thing. People just touching their fluffy, curly hair, apropos of nothing. That's something that most of us white-ass folks cannot get our heads around. But apparently that happens. A lot of things are subtle, like what we were talking about with the bunny and everything being a woman. But there's a lot of direct jokes that are obviously very out front about race. And because they're kind of heavy, it doesn't mean that they're not funny. They actually, for especially in the context of a Disney movie, yeah. I'm like, wow. It's like if it is completely innocent. Nobody would even think about it if it's said out in the real world. Mm-hmm. But because they said that in a Disney movie, you might as well call me the N-word or something. <laughs> they, they do things like uh, these animals, they might have evolved, but they're just as racist as human beings, man. When, like when they have the sheep that are around, and the sheep are nothing but black women. Because when they're around, everybody wants to touch their hair. So fluffy. Man, there was a black mom sitting behind me. I'm not lying. There was a black woman sitting behind me. I'm not making this up. She knew exactly how that was because she said, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> she was getting mad for this shit right now. Girl, don't let them touch your hair like that. It's like not candy. Where to? Uh, Rainforest District. Fine in Tahunga. There. Traffic camps for the whole city. Well, this is so exciting, actually. I mean, well, you know, I, I never get to do anything this important. But you're the assistant mayor of Zootopia. Oh, I'm more of a glorified secretary. I think Mayor Lionheart just wanted the sheep vote. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, God wow. damn, man. And I'm gonna let this continue to play, because, again, you see in this one scene how many layers there are? Black people's hair, they're getting the minority vote. No, nah, the gets deeper. It was really nice for me to be... While we're young, smell weather. You think when she goes to sleep, she counts herself? See, that's racism, right? That he would never say that to her if she was in the room. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I mean, subtle and also upfront. And it's all very funny to me, at least. Well, the thing about uh, the, the the fox, what was his name? Nick, Nick Wilde, who's Nick, Nick voiced Wild. by uh, Jason, Jason Bateman. Bateman. Yeah, who's who's uh, perfect. Uh, he's the one from Raft the Bat saying like, yeah, all this happy sing kumbaya, utopia, zootopia shit, that ain't, that ain't real. That's all surface. <laughs> You're not colorblind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, he was calling it like it is, but he wasn't helping. Nick ain't even trying to like steer away from his stereotype. In this world... Foxes are seen as sneaky, lying, conniving, always plotting. You know, they're like the black people of that world. Yeah, man, but it was easy to read in between the lines with Nick. Like, he came there probably with big hopes and dreams about what it was going to be and saw what it really was and got disillusioned. It was like, mm. fuck it, you're going to see me as a fox? I'll be your fox. Yeah, man, he's a realist. No, you don't make I, – I took it personally. If you're going to be the black person of that world, bro, you got to respect for all of us, man. You know, I, you. Why does he, he got to be black? Because that's what he was in that world, man. See, okay, you that's see, something I sheep were black. But that's something I like about this movie. You can basically identify with whoever you want. Like you said, you saw, you know, the whole Muslims thing. I didn't see anything like that. The whole time I oh, saw really? it is black and white and maybe, you know, Hispanic in certain parts. But with this, I feel like whatever you want to imprint on it, that's what you're going to take away from mm-hmm. it. And that's something they did great at Zootopia. And like I said, it's uh, it, everybody can get different things from this. That's the beauty of it. You can you can watch this in multiple viewings and not only see more jokes, but see different meanings, different targets that they were doing of uh, social commentary. 
But that goddamn Nick, I like the character. The character's a great character. It's a wonderfully designed character. But, brother, you know you keeping us all down if you can't represent, man. I mean, he, every, every fucking thing he did, he was just sneaky about it. And he even brought other people down with him. What did you do that made Mr. Big so mad at you? I, um, I may have sold him a very expensive wool rug that was made from the fur of a skunk. But. Oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> like, oh, sweet Jesus. She's <laughs> like, like, can't you just stop being a stereotype at once? <laughs> now, you, now you bringing me to this shit right here. <laughs> so that was Double Toasted. I honestly recommend you check these guys out on YouTube. Consistently entertaining. Very smart and insightful. Didn't know that. Like, that's never... I I've never witnessed yep. that. No, Apparently so. Well, uh, no, obviously, that's not going to go for every single black, uh, black, w- black woman out there. The, a lot of them are going to have completely different hair to the kind that is representative of a sheep. But they did, like, <laughs> I was I was listening to the voice, and I was like, nope, that there are no, as far as I can tell, clearly, obviously cast black sheep. They are not making the point that the sheep are all black. Although she did mention that uh, she became deputy mayor because he just wanted to get the sheep vote, if you know what I'm saying. Um, and... Uh, I, I did love the uh, the reference to uh, Breaking Bad, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Walt and Jesse should be here with the yeah, drinks. Honestly, anymore. I was going, this is Breaking Bad. And then they just clanged the Walt and Jesse. And it was like, just in case you missed it, folks. Just in <laughs> case you didn't get the blue. It wouldn't have been funnier for it to be someone say Breaking Bad at some point. Out of curiosity, was the line in the UK candy floss? Yeah, I think he would have said cotton candy um, for ours as well. I don't think he would have said candy floss. Yeah. Although, again, um, if it was, was it referred to the city as Zootopia? Was it on signs oh, yes. as Zootopia? Yes. Well, then they did yes, a very yes. good job with their localization because it was mentioned at Zootropolis about a dozen times and it was on signs. And I was thinking, wow, this isn't just a quick botch job and they changed the name on the posters and the, the title card. They actually localized this and had actors go back in and we record dialogue for it. So this has been oh, in preparation no, for a while. Disney's actually, yeah. Disney's, Disney's actually really good about that. Yeah. They must have um, still crunched their numbers and go, this amount that it cost, would cost us to pay off a Danish zoo costs considerably less than this amount that it would cost us <laughs> to have different posters <laughs> and re- have these actors re-record these names. So uh, something that you were kind of hinting, you were touching there, Alex, that I saw in another movie re- or another review of this movie that was actually pretty negative – uh, it's it's a 98%, really fr- by the way, folks. Only two I, negative reviews. It came down to wow. 98? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he was very uh, frustrated with the fact that the various stereotypes were not directly applicable to groups in the real world to make it a more solid yeah, he allegory. Yeah, animal folk. Well, yeah, he he was like, well, maybe this is about terror, like like terrorists. No, 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 they, like these these this allegory doesn't fit. And he became so frustrated with the fact that it was just about prejudice and stereotyping in a general sense. And they did such a good job of making species specific stereotypes as opposed to making allegories mm-hmm. to like directly to groups so of he was humans. Disappointed at what it and then just. Been. Yeah. That he was disappointed that it wasn't a salt, more solid okay. allegory. And I, I actually prefer. I mean, I, I am incredibly biased because a lot of the animal uh, stereotypes hit home in other ways. Uh, but uh, I, I think I liked it more that it wasn't an allegory about 
slavery or terrorism or uh, uh, like African Americans in America today or something like that. It was just prejudice and stereotyping in yeah. general because it's a larger also, canvas. I think if they tried to go for a very specific one-to-one match, like foxes are Mexicans and sheep are African-Americans. Wow. They might have come off as racially insensitive as hell. Precisely. Because they would have been reinforcing so many existing stereotypes in order to make those species matches fit that they would have completely steamrolled their own point. Yep. And instead, they went with really species-specific stereotypes, like uh, the the foxes buying into that mischievous stereotype. But they, there's also a, a kind of Foxian delivery, if you will. The rabbit's very manic, very quick, and and um, bounces around a lot, very optimistic. And all the ferrets and weasels are criminals, so it's very, very specific and appropriate for all of those animal species. I was going to say, I'm surprised there weren't any raccoon thieves or garbage men. Well, no, they had ferrets for that. It's fine. Um, okay. Actually, that does actually tie in with one uh, little problem. No, little problem. That does actually tie in with one issue that you had, Sharon, doesn't it? The uh, the prejudice angle and, and what this could be applicable to. Yeah. I mean, it's it was it griped me a little bit while I was watching the film. I kind of rethought it afterwards and... and as I said, because they have kind of thrown the doors open and made it more general, I thought, okay, that's fine. It's a, they're still aiming it at kids. They need to keep the um, the villain relatively uncomplex. Um, but that was my one dissatisfaction with the film was how they um, lacked any kind of follow up on um, Bellwether's motives. Because um, so the the ending of the film where they uncover the conspiracy is that uh, the assistant mayor, Dawn Bellwether, this is the the little sheep who uh, um, we've previously seen her being mocked and ridiculed by her lion um, boss. Um, There was a point where she said they they were saying um, Judy was congratulating her on being the assistant mayor. And I almost thought she was going to turn around and say, actually, it's more like assistant to the mayor. <laughs> but they didn't do that one. Um, but um, but yes. Yeah, so basically, having been completely sick of being treated this way, she creates this plot whereby they're going to use this um, this compound that they get from the flowers to make certain predators go crazy and savage and attack people. Uh, sorry, attack mammals um, in order to evoke suspicion and fear amongst the prey animals so that they will displace all of the predators from their positions of power which will enable her to step into Lionheart's role Mm. as mayor and and take power and and take control of the city now my kind of grumble with this is that they've set up Bellwether as having been crapped on um, throughout her career um, and then by having her closing moments be very sort of um, Dr. Evil, ha, 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 this was my plan all along. And, and um, you know, then carted off to prison and at the end of it, she sat there twiddling her hooves in a little orange jumpsuit. Um, it, there's no... She was so cute. She was very cute in that jumpsuit. But there's, there doesn't seem to be any room for any subtlety in terms of, okay, the mechanics of her plan were completely and utterly wrong, 
but do you understand what it was that kind of pushed her to that? Um, but again, like I said, if you look at it from the perspective of that, you know, they're making this for children. It's not about a specific one to one allegory. It's not about the particular social issues that are faced in human society, but more the general attitude that allows those social issues to foster. That's all fine. And then I did a little bit of poking around on Google just to sort of see had anybody else had similar feelings about it. And unfortunately, the fact that they have that wrap up has allowed certain individuals on certain Reddit forums, um, which obviously I know they're not by any means a significant minority. And I'm, I'm not saying that a handful of Reddit um, commentators is, is an indication of anything. But that has allowed them to, in response to a lot of people saying that Zootopia was SJW propaganda and should therefore be avoided, don't take your kids to see it at any costs, they've turned around and said, actually, it's, if you look at it, it's anti-SJW because Bellwether totally plays the victim card and she gets punished for it. Hurrah! There are even people comparing her to Anita Sarkeesian. Oh, oh God, no. No, 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 no. And, and the fact that they... they Look at um, uh, should it be Anita Barkisian? Well, indeed. Um, <coughs> or she's Barkisian <laughs> no, um, in my family. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, the the other thing that they'd remarked on was the fact that um, that Judy, although she gets her her place in the police academy through um, what they refer to as a misguided affirmative action program. Um, they actually really, again, thought that the film was anti-social uh, issues bec- or anti-SJW, should I say, because she works her ass off and actually proves that she is uh, that she can meet the standards of the system, that she works really, really hard. She's willing to meet the cr- criteria of the establishment. And that proves that that. It's not the affirmative action that got her that. It was because she, you know, she went with the the, uh, the demands that were made of her and she was willing to, to kind of step up and take that role, completely ignoring the fact that without the Mammal Inclusion Programme, she'd never have had an opportunity to prove all of those things. Like I said, although on on kind of rethinking about it, I had I had less of a problem with that and, and I'll be able to reassess my feelings about how they put, well, Bellwether forward as the villain when I see it once we've got it on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the fact that that caused certain other people to respond we've, in that ha, way we told you did so. make me a bit cross. Yeah. 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 Well, well I, I thought, I didn't think it was very fair for the, like Bellwether to be the villain. I mean, I could see, I can see how they led up to it, but I felt bad for her too, because again, she's been crapped on this whole time and she does do basically the mayor's job you see all that and he's always like oh well clear my afternoon clear my do this blah blah and you know i i get it that's you know part of that is uh part of that is your job if you're you know assistant even if you're the vice mayor your assistant to the mayor yeah you're you're gonna get the extra work you're gonna get the extra crap but usually that's because the boss has you know bigger fish to fry like, hey, can you go handle this library thing? I've got to put out a fire in the city council um, or something along those lines. And I think it would have been uh, – I think I think they could have made her slightly less sympathetic and more of, a, more of a villain if they had done more of that. If they had shown maybe more of like uh, 
more of, you know, the, the mayor doing um, big, important things and just giving, like, more secretarial work to her because he can't deal with it at the time. Mm. Um, or maybe even have her her issues with him be political ones. Like, she didn't like the fact that he was being a mayor in this particular way, and that's mm-hmm. why she had this plan. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, have her explain that, be like, and even have it be like, you know, Judy can even be like, well, look, I understand, but you don't need to alienate people to do this, you know, you don't need to, and maybe then, then have her, like, come out and be all like, oh, no, yes, I do, there's no other way to do this, and then make that the reason she's the villain, because she's, she's so close-minded toward, she's actually close-minded toward predators, it's not that, you know, in this one, it's more like she just uses them as an excuse, you know, make it that she never got over that closed-mindedness. And that's why she's decided to use them as her uh, scapegoats. <laughs> scapegoats. So, <laughs> Although, interesting point, and I'm going to have to get up on a soapbox here. Uh, if she doesn't truly believe the racist rhetoric that she's manipulating people with, that makes her Trump. I don't think Trump's scared of Muslims. But I think he knows that people who are scared of Muslims are really easy to manipulate. So just cultivate that, and suddenly you're their leader. Oh, sorry, wrong meeting. I thought I thought it was at the meeting at the docks. Sorry, sorry. There were so many emotional moments for me in that movie. You know, most of them, you know, kind of very, you know, a bit of teary-eyed going, geez, you know, I feel bad for this, I feel bad for that. And that one's one of the ones where you're just kind of like, whoa, wow, that's too, you know, it's there and it's palpable, it's tangible at this point. I, I, I really like Bellwether as the villain, actually, because for a whole movie that's just about the dangers of stereotyping and prejudices, uh, she's a character who has clearly been putting up with an awful lot of nonsense based on those prejudices, that she's a sheep, that she's a predator or a prey animal, uh, that she's very small, uh, even compared to other sheep. We see her get pushed around by everybody else, especially the other predators, especially her boss. She's been at that job for quite a while, and the missing mammals cases just started two months before we start see we see the movie. So uh, this is something that like has been festering and boiling that she hasn't been able to act on, and it just comes out in this just aggression and hate against the people who had been reinforcing those stereotypes. And then she utilizes the stereotypes and prejudice to get everybody else to, uh, kind of do her bidding to like get her revenge in a sense against the society and against the individual people who had been marginalizing her. And I think for a movie that is so that that's the whole point is stereotyping and prejudice that it works well. Uh, in in my mind, just because it's it's still so closely woven to the theme. Because if we had seen her have like a political reason why she disagreed with Lionheart or uh, some kind of other like just other crazy reason why, I feel like it would have moved away from that s- central theme that is just so inherent in so much of this movie. Just so many incidental moments, so much incidental dialogue. That it just, uh, to me, it just really wrapped everything back up in um, that the villain is kind of made and then utilizes the very stereotypes and prejudice as a weapon because of having put up with it for so long. 
Yeah, huh. which is kind of what I, the conclusion that I came to afterwards when I'd thought about it a little bit, that it was, it, they didn't want to muddy that, that, but like you said, they didn't want to make a message movie. They didn't want to, to muddy the theme by, yeah. um, by going down that route. And I, I completely understand that. It does make perfect sense. But as I say, mm-hmm. it just, it wound me up a little bit that they were using it to, you know, fit their argument. <laughs> I think Double Toasted were the ones who said that the low point lasts for an, a, a longer time than usual in this this one. I, I really liked that fact because it, it, it was more ponderous. It was more... Um, because uh, Judy's prejudices came to the fore as a, a sudden kind of, well, I hadn't really expected to be saying this and I'm not really qualified to, to say this, but... And then she just goes, Hurr! and then lays on the line exactly what Bellwether wanted her to say. Um, which is why when they were on the train car, I was like, right, Sharon, it's bellwether. And uh, it's because, A, who benefits from this? And B, who is basically in a position to um, to have set this up in just the right way? Effectively, uh, Judy, because of her naivety, is, is an excellent mark. And because she's utilizing real experiences, she's laying down what she believes is being honest but at the same time, that it's small-minded behavior. And the one thing that this movie seems to be saying, it's, it may not be a message movie, but the very, very end, like immediately after that, every, all the lighting goes out, all the gloss goes out, everything colorful is muted, and it looks like a Zack Snyder movie. It starts to be desaturated, and everything is just a little bit sadder. So when she's talking to Nick, and there's that heartbroken exchange between them, and when he says, you know, are you afraid of me? And then lunges towards her, and she goes for the fox repellent. And that her little nose twitches. That's a really dramatic, powerful moment of the kind of truth we don't like to confront about ourselves. But at the end, it, like I say, it may not be a message movie, but if it did have a message, it appears to be, be the change you want to see in the world. Starts with you. Well, the, the scene with her under the bridge yeah. with Nick was just so brilliantly conveyed mm. by uh jennifer uh, it, it was it was it, yeah. perfect i i've got no some of the best dramatic it. acting in an act uh, mm-hmm. in a uh, animated movie i've seen and it felt very real and notice that when nick talked about um her path in the city um it was it, it you know at the beginning when he was making lots of assumptions about her uh, he eventually said and you'll end up living in a box under a bridge where's he living Box exactly. under a bridge. Um, and they didn't make a huge deal out of that. She didn't point it out. But, um, but yeah, the, the, I, ultimately, I think the, the being able to show a, a hero character who is has immediate flaws that, like, she's, you know, got a, kind of a stick in the mud. And, and, you know, she seems to be sort of trying to overcome them. But then suddenly we get blindsided with this, you know, actually, no, there's a, a lot of really understandable human flaws in there. And and that made it extremely relatable. I find it fascinating that they actually used, uh, if I'm recalling correctly, they actually used the phrase "we all have limitations." Mm. You know, comparing to everything else that has been going on in the movie, and that it 
they actually just said that line directly. They didn't hint around and said, we all have limitations, but we must try. And I was like, whoa, geez, that was, (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't expecting to hear that, you know? Well, it's, that's a really good message to give, especially to children, because yes, we all have limitations, but unless you try as hard as you can, you'll never know which of those limitations are real and which have been imposed on you by other people. Ah, absolutely. She and Nick both share one end each of a very unpleasant stick of prejudice. Uh, She was bullied by a fox and uh, made to feel small because she was, uh, you know, he was a fox and he was using his uh, size. And he, uh, Nick, was bullied for being a fox. And neither neither that would have happened, basically, if uh, if the the kids that, you know, had grown up watching movies like Zootopia. (laughs) (laughs) And, And reading Harry Potter, Harry Potter is so important. Because it tells a huge amount of the population who like to read and love to watch movies not to vote for what's obviously Voldemort. Not to vote for the guy who literally (laughs) wants to round up all non-magical folk. Did anyone, oh my God, did anyone see the thing on Facebook where with Donald Trump, it's a, um, it was something along the lines of like, it's a vote. (laughs) (laughs) What I think is really interesting also about that bridge scene, the, where they're under the bridge, the last thing that, well, I guess it's not the very last thing, but one of the things Nick says after uh, Judy starts breaking down when he plays the uh, the recording, and he says, don't worry, Carrots, I'll let you erase it in 48 hours. She starts crying, and he like pulls her in for a hug, and he says, you bunnies, so emotional. And it's like, that's generally, like, that's a stereotype, like, right there. And it, it's like, it fits the moment. He's definitely saying it like, jokingly but it's just so amusing to me that like that moment of like them breaking down the this barrier that she's like coming to him apologetically and then even there there is some small generalization made even in jest and i'm just like racism (laughs) (laughs) it's just interesting how pervasive that theme is well even as he is in the process of maneuvering Manipulating her response. Yeah, Which pretty is kind much. Of a fox thing to do. Yeah, I mean, he could have just said he could have turned around and said, "Oh, that's just like it's fine. Like I understand. Uh, you know, like let's let's go get the bad guy." But instead, he he plays back the the carrot thing, which is just such a great callback to what she did mm. to him earlier. Um, and man, if you want to talk about sly and conniving, like Judy is a master. Like, well, I don't need a warrant. I just saw a shady-looking character climbing over the fence. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> Did you just boot my stroller? Yeah. <laughs> it's just... Uh, <laughs> she's... She got you it, good. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy working for That's the fun. we haven't really <laughs> talked about, but it is one of the it funniest is. films I've seen in ages as well. I don't think there was, really like, uh, more than, say, 30, 40 seconds that was, went by when they were trying to make you laugh that I wasn't laughing. And it was great. Yeah. I, yeah, like I, I said before, I just saw it again this morning after having only seen it the day it came out, and I was still laughing yeah. the whole way through. Oh, FYI, you can buy those carrot pens. Yes, you can. Easter bunny present. (laughs) Um, I was going to ask, because you are, in in my opinion, all much more astute about cinema, cinematography, and everything than I am. I'm just, you know, one of those people. I was like, 
going to go in, I'm going to have a good time, and I'm going to enjoy it. When I walked out of that movie, that was one of the, the only times in my mind I've gone, that movie had damn well better get nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> I, 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 and I, I know maybe I've got some sort of bias, but it was, to me, just an unbelievably good, poignant, relevant movie. I don't know. Do, do you think it's got enough substance? Well, they to didn't it nominate um, Inside Out, and uh, that that is equally insightful into the human condition. Mm-hmm. I think it could be because uh, the Oscars are always big on saying, "Hey, guys, racism is bad." Just in case you hadn't <laughs> worked it out. After this year. Because Zootopia doesn't necessarily break new ground, but it does bravely forge forwards and uh, and deal with prejudice in a medium. Uh, sorry, in a what do we call it? A mode because I don't animated is not a medium. Uh, a mode of filmmaking which is not usually about prejudice, and it's not usually well, about tackling that. It's it's it had, it's happened, but it's it's not usual. And it it doesn't go into this like with the obvious thing of oh we're making a film about prejudice kids you know you have to be you know where they they spell it out for you and they're very ham-fisted with it this you know you see it there but they don't point it out it's much more subtle than that it's also it's it's, much more lightly touched it's everyday racism we can watch pocahontas and see oh whether we are white or copper skinned and it's got this incredible grandiose operatic feel to the racism um and it's very much you know uh, white settlers and uh, native americans and it is a straightforward race war whereas this is everyday racism you're going to see on the street all the time casual racism it's challenging the kind of little things that your parents or your friends or your uncles or your your boss might say that you need to get your head straight on what's cool and what's not cool, basically. Things things that you would normally overlook. Yeah. So ultimately, this kind of movie and Inside Out as well, just like for, for getting kids used to understanding their own emotions. It's one of our favorite films of last year, Sharon. We still haven't done a show on it. And we mm. probably should have done it back then when we were bursting with joy. Ha <laughs> ha, I've read. <laughs> but, uh, I'll still be bursting with joy when yeah, we do it. No, you when, know when it. we, yeah, no, we are, yeah, we're I would totally like to be that. a part of that one. Please but. do. And uh, we will be uh, in that uh, this year as well because um, I think, you know, it, it, we're not going to wait till we've done all the other Pixars to cover that one because it's, uh, we've, we've seen it enough times now. And uh, I think we can probably get a really good one out of that. And uh, I, I love that Disney are still on this incredible up like streak. They are now outstripping all their other previous renaissances. If you consider that it started with the princess and the frog, and then it's proceeded all the way through to Zootopia, uh, mm-hmm. then with, um, I can't even think what, what's the, what's the off, what's the down switch on that? I suppose it Winnie the Pooh, but that was kind of a, a sort of a, like the last gasp of 2d. I, I like Winnie the Pooh. It didn't do fantastically well, 
Um, well, they, they barely advertised it. Yeah. Like, nobody knew it was there, so nobody went to go see it. Yeah. Uh, that, that was their Rescuers Down Under of their 90s um, uh, run. Yeah. So, you know, they because start the off strong, then they do a sort of a, uh, and then they carry on very, very strong again with uh, Tangled. Disney's fourth renaissance is showing no signs of stopping. The first renaissance being uh, Snow White all the way through to Bambi. And then the second lot starting at Cinderella. So that was the second. Then the third was the 90s. And then we're still in what might be the end or what might be the middle of their fourth. Who can say? But I hope it's early in the middle. Something that they've been doing, I mean, since we've been mentioning the other movies from this like time, like the recent ones, something that they have been doing is making a lot more Easter eggs, like connecting them yeah. in like weird ways. And we haven't mentioned it yet, but I wanted to definitely mention um, my favorite one mm-hmm. in this movie. And it's actually referencing Frozen. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a whole line that Bogo has where. Uh, right, oh, oh, yes. He says, life's not a cartoon musical where you sing a little song and dreams magically come true. That's the one. So let it, it go. go. And it's like... <laughs> we were the only one who laughed at that. No one else did it. <laughs> Stupid cinema. But I love the fact that it's like, it's a subtle reference to this other film in a context that makes you feel better for having watched said other film. Like you're part of the inside joke, that you're part of the whole thing that's going on. And it's just so much more enjoyable to uh to experience and they're doing that a lot more yeah with these newer films there's just something about that that whole meta connection that other films obviously like the marvel films and such are doing that in a much more overt way but it's nice to see that the new disney films are doing a similar thing and getting that kind of response I just wanted to, as kind of a postmortem on our Robin Hood talk, just speak a little bit about where I think this movie sits in the furry fandom kind of in general, because I talked a lot about how Robin Hood, the Disney Robin Hood, introduced the idea that furry animals can be serious, and that people started taking into account the idea of animal species and animal characters as an extension of themselves or as a uh, kind of a, a, an ideal to strive for, utilizing the stereotypes related to animals uh, and animal species. Uh, And then I think that uh, Zootopia, since the main theme of it is actually almost not the reverse so much as uh, kind of don't just do that. Like, taking on that kind of a character, that kind of an animal as uh, a totem or a spirit or uh, something to strive for as a personality. But to not necessarily assume that about everyone who does that. Uh, I, I use a lot of pre- uh, a lot of prepositions. Let me try to piece that out a little bit. The idea would be like a person who takes on a dragon as a character. Uh, you could see as very. I think I even mentioned this specifically. You could see as very covetous or very uh, collective of something. Usually, it's it's possessions or friends or, or something like that. They're very protective. But Zootopia is almost saying like. Yeah, some are probably like that, but don't assume this. It's almost going against that adoption of stereotypes that Robin Hood kind of started in the furry community. And I I just find that worth mentioning, worth commenting on, that this movie is seen in the furry community itself as very much so kind of the next or this generation's Disney's Robin Hood 
um, it's a Disney's Utopia is like the new generation, the millennial furries, if you will. Uh, it, it's like their seminal piece. And it's, it, it is so interesting to me that the, the main story, the main theme underlying it isn't, well, of course he's stealing from people. He's a Fox. Of course he's loyal. He's a dog, like that kind of thing. And it's saying, yeah, we have these ideas. We have these prejudices. We have these stereotypes, but have an open mind. You can be anything. You can, you can try everything and, uh, you can move forward from there. And, uh, there was a kind of just to cap it off. There was a great, piece of art that one of the animators of Zootopia actually retweeted. He found it on Tumblr from a, a furry artist where it's Nick talking on the phone saying, well, yes, it, yes, I, I met someone. Y- yes, I understand. She's a, you know what? You guys need to come to terms with the fact that I'm, I can see whoever I want to see and it doesn't matter that she's a rabbit kind of thing. And then he hangs up the phone and he just rolls his eyes and says, parents. And the next panel is Maid Marian getting off the phone and Robin Hood in the background uh, and then, like they have a little exchange about like oh like our our child's growing up like our kids growing up and it's so emblematic of kind of the furry community how it has matured uh, since Robin Hood into what it is today and I I just I don't know if you want to include it in the in the podcast but I just wanted to just put it out there because uh, it's just something that I've been thinking about all day. Weasel gotta eat. Weasel, weasel, <laughs> weasel needs food. Weasel gotta eat. Needs <laughs> food badly. Okay. Weasel needs food badly. Thank you guys all so, so much for coming on this one. It was an absolute pleasure. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, right, so uh, where can everyone find you? Uh, Lauren. Well, you can find me uh, usually at the Year of Steam podcast. We're on Podbean. You can also find us on iTunes. Me and Ian Hopwood and uh, Laura Kate all talk about games we play on Steam. We play it at random. There's a nice Steam roulette to it, much like Russian roulette. Sometimes it doesn't come out so well. Uh, other than that, <laughs> you, I guess you could find me at certain conventions bouncing around in a giant orange and yellow pinata suit throwing candy at people. <laughs> and generally <laughs> harassing uh, ferrets that I know. Matt, where could they find the th- the ferret if they're looking uh, for? Find the ferret. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Scrapper Ferret. Um, you can find uh, Jen and I's. Uh, we actually just uh, started our Facebook costuming uh, page Jackal, at uh, yeah. Yep Jackal Costuming. Um, otherwise, yeah, we run around conventions here and there, and uh, those are probably the easiest uh, ways to find me. And Loretta. Uh, on the the uh, the brand new White Scarves Facebook page, the uh, the New Century Multiverse, uh, so titled just mm. because I couldn't put down New Century Multiverse or anything with just New Century because stupid Texan mega churches. Um, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> they have the the monopoly on New Centuries now. It would appear. Yeah, there's it's like a giant cult 
thing. Don't ask. Um, but I've got a good reason find... why my book series is called New Century. What's their reason? Did they only start it in the New Century? Uh, apparently, it's got something to do with the Rapture. I don't know. Well, I didn't if the Rapture doesn't happen, can I have that name, please, permanently? <laughs> Well, maybe maybe it's like one of those cults where they make it happen for themselves. I I'll don't tell you know. What, now, if the rapture does happen, they'll be gone. I can have that name back. Wee! <laughs> Either way you win. Back with all the sinners. I'll be one of the four horsemen. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can find me on the uh, the New Century Multiverse page uh, on Facebook. You can also find me on my own Facebook. Uh, spelled L-A-U-R-E-T-A, last name S-E-L-A. Uh, I'm also uh, Sayla Loretta at... Uh, Twitter.com, please follow me. I am very opinionated. I don't mean to offend, but it is my job to provide commentary. Um, <laughs> uh, and you can also find me at conventions. I usually dress up like uh, like Yachidu from Bleach. Harley Quinn. Uh, um, which literally means in Japanese, uh, I'm, I'm the Squad 11th Vice Captain. Um, so you'll find me doing that and running around and being all madcap. And if I find you, you're furry and I think you're cute. I'm going to run up and, and probably scratch you behind the ears and go, who's a cowboy? Who's a cowboy? And give you candy and then run away, giggling madly. Better so one in mind, furries. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm definitely uh, seeing the rabbit. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely going to be seeing me running around as a madcap rabbit. I do that as well. And, uh, of course, I do have a soft spot for Miss Pinkie Pie. So if you <laughs> if you happen to hear hear me shouting out as Pinkie Pie or grabbing my party cannon, then then come find me. Yeah. And, Sharon, where's your, uh, where's your other podcast that's not this one? Uh, my other podcast is The Eclectic Podcast, which can be found on the Geek Planet Online website. Uh, our most recently recorded show was about uh, Fight Club. Um, you can also find the show before that, which was on Death Note, on uh, the Geek Planet Online Patreon. And the show prior to that, which was about Alan Moore, uh, is available on iTunes. Must be 18 or older. <laughs> <laughs> Oh and for some reason, <laughs> oh if you my. have not yet started listening to Tiger's Eye and you liked Zootopia, you might want to go listen to my production of Tiger's Eye, uh, which is available on iTunes right now. And uh, think of it as the prehistory of Zootopia because it kind of works. Hadn't intended it to, but it does. And you can hear Matt, Loretta, and like a couple of words from Lauren and Sharon. It's also in that. So basically, you can hear all of us in it. I retire to my house and see that the bedding has been refreshed. My father has followed me. He cranes around a tree some way off until he sees that I have spotted him. Then he approaches gingerly. Thank you, Dada. It is nothing. I knew you would be too tired again. And the window mesh. You fixed it. I had the time. It's lovely work. Stronger than before. It should hold in the wind. Would you like to sit a while? Uh, No, I ought to be getting back to my bed. Uh, Some will be up soon. Those leopards you fought, you hurt much. Scrapes I will mend easily. The bedding is fresh and smells nice. You could sleep for a long time. 
Let yourself heal. I need to be up early. I got second helpings of that quagga. He was delicious, by the way. We'll all end up getting fat if you keep this up. We can save it. I don't want anyone hungry. Besides, we shall always have extra mouths to feed. Yes, we will. Good night, Dada. I fixed your door as well. You don't have to lift it up to close it anymore. Good night, Dada. Good night, my love. We will see you guys later. We're going to leave you on the earworm song that is Try Everything. Is that it? Try Anything. Try Anything. Isn't it? Or is it Try Anything? No, it's Try Everything. Try Everything. Oh, okay. Sorry. Let's go back to that. (laughs) Man, if you would have seen that movie today, you would have known that. Yeah. Twice. Try if you'd listen to that song over and over again this morning, <laughs> try everything. Uh, 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 then you'd know that. Fair. Do you think my other idea to dance to when we did our special dance videos? <laughs> yeah, be. that could be that. Okay, right. Oh, oh, no, oh we need to we need to do down. a plug in here too. Like we should do because there are some major major awards. We need to have people vote for us for that. Yeah, okay. You know, um, rather than putting in the uh, the, the customary Ursa Major um, thingy, I'm going to just you go ahead and say, yeah, you guys have got a couple of weeks left to vote Tiger's Eye in the Ursa Major Awards. Uh, we're in the f- we were nominated thanks to you guys voting, and that is fantastic. We are up against the likes of My Little Pony and Danger Mouse, and with your help, we could actually win an award, and that would be brilliant, would it not? Go to ursamajorawards.org, and the instructions are really, really quick and simple there. It's about three minutes. So this is Shakira with Try Everything. Welcome to Zootopia. I messed up tonight. I lost the knowledge. 